This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 7, Exceptions. I've talked about what I like in board games, but occasionally a game will circumnavigate all those rules and wow me nonetheless. These are the 10 games that have proved to be exceptions to the rule. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on episode 7 of season 2 of The Broken Meeple. Now, I said I was going to get this episode out a bit quicker because, well, a couple of reasons. One, I said I was going to get them out more often and I kind of need to adhere to that promise. But secondly, I will be travelling to Aircon at the end of this week. I'll be travelling to Harrogate on Thursday evening, staying over in a hotel, and then attending for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So I hope to meet some of you guys there, particularly those from Board Game Trading Chat in UK, who are going to be meeting up there in full force, it seems. As well as playing games, I'll be there chatting to everyone, doing a Room 504 panel, and just basically hanging out and enjoying playing board games. That's the reason I went to this convention last time. I enjoyed it so much that I want to go again, and this new venue and new size sounds like it's going to do nothing but wonders for it. So look forward to seeing you there this weekend. You should be able to find me fine, I'll be posting up pictures as we go through the day, and I won't be necessarily wearing any particular logo t-shirt or anything, because to be fair, they're getting kind of tacky at the moment, and I sort of need to get some money together and get some embroidered polo shirts or something, you know, but they cost a bit more, so that will take a bit of time, maybe in time for the UK Games Expo, but to be honest, this convention is not going to be so large that you wouldn't be able to find me if necessary, so I think you'll be alright just looking at me pictures and just giving me a bell on Facebook Messenger or on the Facebook group or on Twitter at The Broken Meeple, just basically get in contact and I'm sure you'll be able to find me just fine. As for what's been happening recently, mainly I'm just still trying to get my video side sorted. I'm almost there. I have had a friend of mine who goes to my Southampton gaming group and who is a big tech geek when it comes to video and lighting and photography. So I got him to look at my current setup, give me some pointers. We looked over pretty much every contributor that the Dice Tower had to offer and looked at their lighting setups. He pointed out things like shadow and, you know, overexposure and things like that. So basically I learned quite a lot and we we managed to get a little shopping list of the stuff I should get and I'm just waiting for some very good, you know, big scale light panels to arrive because what I had was far too small. So, it's getting there, people. Sorry it couldn't happen during the month of February, but it's happening. I'm going to do this, and I promised you I'd get a top 100 done on video, so, you know, I'm already having to get this up and running before the summer, at least, because that's when the anniversary of the Broken Meeple will come across, and that's when I'll be wanting to do my top 100. It's coming. It will be on video, I promise. 
Yesterday was a good fun day of gaming. I had the two lovely ladies, Amy and Fiona from The Game Shelf, who are two friends of mine I used to know from the Southampton Gaming Group. They were over my house yesterday and we played several games throughout the day. Mainly we meet up in order to play the next Time Stories expansion, so you know we've been doing it since Asylum, so it's kind of like tradition in a sense. And we went through Endurance, and spoiler alert, I really liked it, but you'll expect a review of that any day now. As well as that, I got to teach them Pursuit of Happiness and Dimension, two games I really like. But the best highlight, I think, other than Time Stories, had to be when they taught me Colosseum. Yeah, that we're talking the Days of Wonder Colosseum version, not the weird reprint that's coming out later this year with questionable artwork. We're talking the original Days of Wonder classic, apparently. I'd never played it. I'd always wanted to try it. Watching the Dice Tower do it live has been hilarious. Therefore, it was time for me to learn it. We only had three players, which I get the impression it's better with more players because of the auction mechanic that's in it. But even so, with three players, I still loved it. I still thought it was it was a great game. I mean, it's simple to learn. It looks the business. Even though it's got some luck aspects to it with the whole auction tiles and the roll and move part, it's light and short enough that you don't really care too much about the luck aspect if it does hose you a little bit. What's really cool though is those shows you put on. If you're willing to role play this and, you know, just ham it up with the con, the, um, sorry, not the contest, the, the shows that you put on, it's just hilarious. You know, we had some great ones going like an ode to an arch and then my, you know, that Amy did, which was basically singing about an archway, and I then did a play which was basically tear down said arch, you know, or die, you stupid arch, where I basically just did a... I think I was going very gladiator-heavy during the game. I was getting a lot of fighters basically beating each other up. It didn't matter what the show was about, it usually ended up as two gladiators beating each other up. I mean, come on, you're in Roman times, what else do you expect? But I really enjoyed it, and if I ever manage to get a copy of the Days of Wonder version, I'm going to go and grab it. Well, within reason. I'm not going to go paying £150 for it like some people are trying to, you know, scuff on eBay and stuff like that. No, 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 no. If somebody wants to sell a reasonable copy of Days of Wonder Coliseum, I'm definitely up for it. So all in all, a great fun day, and as I said, you will hear from me soon on the Time Stories expansion. I will do a spoiler-free review on that. After that, you will probably hear me do a review on the Mansions of Madness expansion beyond the threshold. I'm looking to uh, get started writing on that soon. And then once I've played a couple more short games of it, you'll... Well, I say short, it's still pretty long. But I'm going to get more games of the colonists done, and then I shall do a review on that. I've already done a four-era playthrough solo which took a long time, I have to admit, but then it was my first game and I had to do a lot of rule checking. It's quite fiddly in a few aspects and you have to be careful not to get a rule wrong because it will basically break the game if you get something wrong. But all in all, I thought it was alright so far. I need to try out games where you only play a certain amount of eras. I think four eras is just too long at the moment, especially when the first era you don't really do much that's considered that epic. But then if you play later eras, I'm worried that you won't get that sense of build-up like you do in things like Caverna and Fields of Arl. So it's a... well, I have to see. I've only had one full playthrough. I need to play it more times to see. And I look forward to getting that done soon. So that's more for the long term, getting a review of the colonists out. For now, wait for Time Stories and Mansions of Madness expansion. Those two are definitely on the way.
So, on with the top 10. Right, now, I have to admit, I kind of think that Rado has some, like, spy drones in my flat. Sorry, in my house. It must do, because it's kind of weird. I said the other episode I was going to do this top 10 exceptions to the rule, and then three days after that, Rado comes out with his top 10 exceptions to the rule. Probably just a huge coincidence. But I'm keeping an eye out for spy drones. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him. He may do. Could be a spy drone here right now. I don't know. It just seems like, whoa, okay, three days after I come up with the idea, it's like, hmm, he's he's using it now. And I know the Dice Tower had already done it back in December, but, oh well, looks like everyone's doing it now. It must be the uh, the new rage, shall we say. So these are ten games where, despite them being of a theme I don't normally like, or being very dry and devoid of theme even, or just using mechanics that I generally aren't a fan of, I still get wowed by them, or I still enjoy playing them. In terms of ranking them, I had to take a few liberties, but over the course of these 10, I've kind of gone with a case of how much do I enjoy it in relation to how much should I not enjoy it. Because there'll be some where it's just a case of, well, the theme's not something I like, but everything else is, you know, I would go for it. And then there are some games where it's like, there is no reason why I should like this game, and yet I still like it. So it's an interesting 10, but I've tried to rank them as best as I can, and even though some of you are probably thinking, how much is this going to overlap with my top 10 dry games I did last year, there's a tiny bit of overlap, but you'd be surprised that there's actually quite a lot of games on here that didn't appear on that list. Because there may be some dry games that I like, but they're not necessarily exceptions to the rule, or more to the point, they won't be ones that I like that much. You know, dry games are not something I tend to go for, and yes, spoiler alert, there are at least a couple of dry games on this list. But, you know, dry is subjective, some people can find theme in the driest of sandpaper, I don't know, it's that some people really do have to scrape the sandpaper in order to find a a drop of theme sometimes, and then they justify it as being thematic. It's kind of weird. Anyway, on with the show, top 10 exceptions to the rule. Number 10 is a party game, and to be fair, I normally like party games. There's very few party games I don't like, but it's a case that... One of the old mainstream games I really hated and just didn't like was Pictionary. Because in Pictionary, you had to be able to draw well. If you couldn't draw well, you basically sucked and there was no point in you being there. Well, I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. What's the old Blackadder quote? Um, you know, I have the artistic skills of a trio of colorblind hedgehogs in a bag. It's, you know, it's worse than that even. My drawing skills are horrendous. Ask anybody who I've played Telestrations with. And that's my number 10. Telestrations is a hilarious party game. One of my favorite party games to play. And chances are, like I say, I like party games. So that's why this is squeaking in on number 10. But normally anything with drawing I shouldn't like, especially if you have to draw to do well. But here, you don't. Here, in fact, drawing badly just makes the game more fun. And I pity those who play this in order to score points. When you read the rulebook and you hear that bit at the end that says this is how you score points, screw that page up and throw it in the garbage because you should not play this game to score points. You literally should just get 8 players together, 12 if you're lucky enough to have that giant party pack, which I wish I had. Has anybody got that party pack to sell? I would like it. But you just get 8 players around, give them the pads, 
do the draw, do the drawing and the guessing, and then just laugh your head off. Whether you want to use the cards or just make up your own clue words is entirely up to you. But whatever you do, just get eight people around and play this game. It's that hilarious. Telestrations number ten. Number 9 is quite a lengthy Euro, but even though I've been raving about this designer for a while, you know, I do so far like pretty much every game I've played from him and I want to try every other game he's created because I haven't tried them all yet. But this one had a theme that I just thought, there's no way I'm going to like this game that much really. I mean, I've just played his other game, Kanban, and I really, really enjoyed that. I felt like I was running that car factory and trying to dodge the boss, and it was really thematic, and it was just really... It was an excellent game, even though the rulebook could have been written a bit better. And at this point, I was relatively new to Vital Asurdo's games. So when The Gallerist came out, my number nine, The Gallerist was one that I was a bit unsure of. I thought, well, it looks the business, and it was made by the same designer... But we're talking like a three-hour game running an art gallery? I know nothing about art, and my girlfriend knows a lot more about art than I do. And I've got nothing against art, but I don't know the first thing about distinguishing types of art. Bear in mind, I can't draw. You know, I don't understand how abstract art is a thing. Uh, apparently it is. I feel like I could do it myself with my eyes closed, but apparently there's more to it than that. I don't know. What do I know? I'm not an art connoisseur. I have to be told about this sort of stuff all the time because I just don't know it. So the idea of running an art gallery really didn't seem like a theme I was going to latch onto. And what happened? The Gallerist was in my top 20 games of my top 100. I love it that much. It's such an elegant, smooth-flowing game for what is a fairly long and fairly big brain burner. But the theme works. The art gallery theme comes out very strongly, and I enjoy playing it. I enjoy running this gallery and flipping over the different artists and, you know, boosting their fame and buying art and selling it later or just trying to stock up my art gallery with all these weird and wonderful pictures and photographies and stuff like that. And they're all based on real works of art. So it is quite interesting to look at them and realize that these actually did exist or so do exist in the real world. It's an excellent Euro game and I just thought the theme alone was going to make me want to stay away from it. Boy, was I proved wrong. That's The Gallerist at number 9. Number 8 is a solo game. Now, I don't have a problem with solo games. Usually solo games are fine, and I've played a few, and as much as I like playing the solo mode in a lot of games, a lot of the ones where it is solo only... I've played and don't tend to hang on to. I like Friday, but I didn't hang on to it. I've got Onirum and I like that, but, you know, I haven't played it in a while, so we'll see how long that lasts, but it's a good game. So I need to find a solo game that I really adore and can only be played solo was unlikely, especially when I'm wandering around Essen last year and just randomly going past the Korean board games stand and thinking, I know nothing about games from this country, God knows if I'm going to like them or not, but let's try a game and see what happens. And then I heard on the Dice Tower Live show, I think it was Eric, was it Eric or Jason? I'm not sure, but one of them was raving on about something called Coffee Roaster, which is my number eight. And Coffee Roaster was a solo game done by the Korean board game company that was at Essen. And I thought, well, they raved about it and it's a solo game. I'll give it a try and see whether I like it. What then occurred was 30 minutes 
of some of the best solo fun I have had in a long time. The Coffee Roaster is an amazing solo game, and it's just about brewing coffee. The theme alone does not make it sound like a game that should be that good, especially when it's solo only. But this is addictive, really addictive, because it takes one very cool mechanic of bag building, which is the whole, you put tokens in a bag and then you draw them out, and shenanigans can make you like remove them from the bag completely or put new ones in, and you're trying to tailor the bag to a specific way. But basically, the theme of brewing a coffee comes out really well. Because you start off with your choice of coffee, and you have a target of how like roasted you need to make it, and then your bag has a preset limit of various tokens, which will be different level zero beans, there'll be some hard beans, there'll be some moisture, there'll be smoke, there'll be bad beans, you know, there'll be all sorts of stuff in your bag. And you have this timer that goes on where the beans will get better and better, and you'll eventually burn some beans maybe, or you'll get smoke from the coffee roaster in there. And you're just trying to tailor your bag to the point where you are then ready to brew your coffee. You draw 10 tiles out of the bag, and then with the help of some other tiles or some other, you know, some boosts that you might have bought along the way with various other tiles, then you brew your coffee. And the idea is, is that you're trying to, with those 10 tiles, make the perfect coffee as per the, you know, the objective card that you've got. It sound, I'm not explaining it as well as I'd like, I must admit, but try it. If you ever manage to get hold of a copy, I know it's a Korean board game company game, so it's not the easiest thing to get, but trust me, try it. This is one of the best solo games I have played. It's just so lighthearted and so addictive, and there's plenty of variety in the game. The components are very good, I have to admit. You know, you get your money's worth in there, and if you like bag-building games, it is a must-buy. I haven't reviewed this game. I'll probably save it for when I get back on the video channel and I'll do a video review, but this is a very good solo game, and you just wouldn't think that a solo game about brewing coffee would impress me at all. So Coffee Roaster makes my number eight. Number seven is an auction filler game, and I don't normally like auctions unless they are really fast bidding games. There are exceptions, as proven now, with Biblios. Now, there are other auction filler games out there, mainly for sale. I've kind of burnt out on for sale. It didn't impress me that much at first, and I'm kind of bored with it now. So if it gets offered, I tend to turn it down and offer something else. Biblios, though, just seems to work really well. It's a game of two halves where the first one is, you know, hand management. You are setting yourself up by drafting cards and you're choosing what to keep yourself, what to give your opponents, and what to place in an auction pile for later. You then, in the second half of the game, auction off the cards in that pile. You have money cards, which you use to actually buy the stuff with, and you have these different sets of, you know, numbered color cards, where, I mean, it's based on getting books for a library, a monastery or something, but screw the theme, it's basically you're just collecting sets. And the more you get in a particular set allows you to win a certain amount of points, which is based on this die that represents each category, but the value of that die can increase or decrease based on what cards are played. It's a nifty little filler game, easy to learn. It sounds more complicated than it actually is, but the auctions are super fast. It's just straight two, three, four, right, yours. Two, four, five, yours. 
Right, three, five, six, yours. You know, it just goes nice and quickly. None of this power grid nonsense of sitting there for 10 minutes waiting for somebody to calculate the trillions of maths designs in their head to try and figure out whether they should bid to 72 on this next plant auction. No, none of that rubbish. This is quick, easy, fast. The way auctions should be. Biblios number seven. Number six is a bone dry game with cubes. Okay, that doesn't really sound like something I would go for, especially one which is just basically about building buildings or building blocks of cubes. Okay, still, why should I like this? It was a Spill the Yaris nominee. Okay, maybe, but still, I've seen choices in the Spill the Yaris I've not been happy with in the past, and I have no idea what it's about just from the name Imhotep. Imhotep surprised me to no end though. This is a game I shouldn't like. It's bone dry, it's relatively short which is a positive, but basically all you are doing is placing giant cubes on these various spaces and it's quite mean, and I don't normally go for the really mean and nasty games with one or two exceptions, and you know that sort of thing, it really shouldn't impress me that much. But Imhotep is one of my favourite gateway games to teach people who need to get into Euro-specific games. It is so deserving of being a Spiel Diaris nominee. In fact, I think it should have won it. You know, Codenames is okay, but I think this one is such an eloquent design. Yes, it can be mean and nasty, but the game is a 45-minute affair dirt simple to teach. You've got A and B sides for all the different places that you are building these temples and obelisks on. So you've got lots of variety in the gameplay for if you're new to it or if you're veterans. It just seems to flow really smoothly. Dirt simple to teach, quick to play. It shouldn't have impressed me as much as it did, yet it's now in my collection. Imhotep number six. With my number five, we are going back to, again, a dry game, but it's visually impressive, and it's also about auctions. Again, auctions is a mechanic I usually don't like. So this one wasn't really enticing me for a long time. It's like, you got to try this one. You auction with meeples. Okay, just because my blog is called The Broken Meeple doesn't mean I like anything just when you put a meeple in it. But you got multiple colored meeples, and you build this, like, Carcassonne map of your village in front of you. Okay, that's enticing me a bit more, but again, it's just all about auctions and it's a dry euro. Really? Do you really want me to try this? Okay, fine, I'll try it. I'll try it. Let's get five of us together. Show me how this plays. Whoa, okay, Keyflower is a lot better than I thought it would be. I mean, it's visually impressive to begin with, and that was something that drew me in. And I like the idea of building this little village map in front of you. I've even got the game now with the expansions, which I've yet to try, but now I can have farm animals and stuff like that, so I can build my own little village and feel like I've constructed something. So that's already a plus point. But the game is pretty much auctions and it's bone dry you have to acquire the tiles for your village by auctioning your meeples it's all about timing it's all it can be very mean and nasty because you are effectively you know denying people you know the ability to grab tiles they need at the last minute you can really get hosed down in this but wow i don't know why i enjoyed it so much it just I don't know, it just flowed. Granted, I, I admit the rules are a bit fiddly to learn and the rulebook's not perfect, but once you got to grips with the game and the rule mechanics and the sort of slightly fiddly setup, 
It really does play well, and I think a lot of it comes down to building that map in front of you. Having your starting little village tile and then expanding it with roads and, you know, different buildings and eventually soon with the expansions, you know, farm animals and stuff. And it just really sang. So something that really I avoided for a long time because I just thought this is not going to be a game I like. A big long, you know, a big long euro about auctions. I thought, is this just going to be another power grid all over again? Nope, Keyflower is a solid Euro game, one I recommend trying, and one that I really need to get back to the table and try these expansions on pronto. Number 5, Keyflower. Number 4, we're getting into the big heavy Euro territory now, and this is the super dry heavy Euro category. We're talking brain burner, we're talking mechanics for the sake of mechanics, we're talking, you know, a fantasy theme literally bolted on with no premise of being there, we're talking fairly mean and nasty, we're talking two and a half to three hours length minimum. This is not something I should like. In fact, the only thing that was even remotely enticing me was the variety in the races you could be. Other than that, I didn't think it looked visually impressive. I thought it was just going to be super dry. Everyone was banging on about it and it was getting to like the top 10 of Board Game Geek. And I just thought, this is going to be something that's so overrated. It's just going to be the equivalent of another dry Euro that all the dry Euro fanatics love and I'm not going to like it. Well, I tried it and surprisingly... Even though it hasn't hit the table for a while, I still love it. And I don't know why. Terra Mystica shouldn't be a game that I like. You know, all these jumbled up mechanics for the sake of having mechanics and, you know, boring looking block buildings all over the place and just basically a dry, mean area control game. But for some reason it works. I still like it. I like the variety in those races, the fact that everybody has a different, slightly different board and a special power that's unique to them. I like the way that, you know, you have to not only think strategically, but tactically as well. I like the fact that the endgame objectives can change. I like the fact that there's quite a few different paths to victory you can take, even though you technically should play to the strengths of your current faction. But then I like the way that having different factions on the table influences how you do things as well. It can suck a little bit with three players, I think, though, because you tend to have two people loving each other and then one player gets hosed, but two player works fine, and four player is a blast. Five player, I think it goes up to five, don't do that, you know, stick with max four. That's probably why it hasn't hit the table in a while, actually, because I think it's kind of like, it must be played with four players, but when it is played with four players, it's a great game. I do like it. I really, really shouldn't like it, but Terra Mystica makes number four exception to the rule. Now, the top three were kind of hard to rank. My number one is a game where the theme and the style of Euro and everything else should not be something I like at all, yet I love it. My number two and three are games that I enjoy, but in the case of number three, I like it, but I don't love it. It's on my top 100, but it's fairly low down, and whether it will stay there depends on what it's like the next time I bring it to the table. But I am not a fan of Stefan Feld. I'm sorry, I know there's a lot of Steffenfeld lovers out there, but so far, there is only one game I like by Steffenfeld, and I have tried Castles of Burgundy, I have tried Aquasphere, I have tried uh, Notre Dame, I have tried Bruges. In fact, I think the only Steffenfeld I haven't tried, to my you know main knowledge, is probably Trajan. 
Haven't tried that one yet. But this one, Amerigo, really I should not like. I mean, I shouldn't like it at all. Not just like, I should, I should despise this game. You cannot get more drier. Well, actually, I suppose there's two designers on par, but Steffenfeld is just super, super dry. It is mechanics for the sake of mechanics. And in this one, it's just a bunch of colored tracks. You get a nice little map, but that's probably the only thing even remotely sort of, you know, remote to theme in the game. But everything else is basically leveling up various tracks and doing actions. Why do I like this game, though? The Cube Tower. The Cube Tower is something I want to see in more games. In fact, I have a copy of Shogun on my shelf, which I haven't got to the table yet. But the main reason I bought it is because it has a Cube Tower in it. That's literally the only reason I bought it. The Cube Tower mechanic, even though it has no thematic connection to this game whatsoever, I just really like it. And no, it's not just a sensation of picking up a bunch of cubes and shoving them in a tower even though that is quite fun. Now, the idea is that with this game, the actions that you're allowed to do in each turn and how powerful they are, are dictated by the cubes that fall out of the bottom. So you might be wanting to sail across the seas and so many blue cubes come out that you could sail for miles. But then you might be thinking, I really want to get some of those. I need to get some more land tiles and I can't. Oh, a green cube just popped out. I could do that now. So yes, you've got to be slightly strategic, but I love in this that the cube tower makes you have tactical decisions as well. Because you might not be thinking of doing something on one turn and then suddenly the opportunity arises and you have to think, oh, is it worth actually taking that opportunity now that it's been given to me? I shouldn't like this game at all. I normally hate everything by Steffenfeld. Sorry, Steffenfeld, I'm sure you're a great guy, but your games are just not what I go after. It's nothing personal. I just aren't a fan of that style of game. But Amerigo is still on my shelf. Will it remain there? We'll see. But for now, that cube tower is holding it in place, and that makes this one hell of an exception to the rule. Number three. Number two beats out Amerigo because I enjoy this one more than Amerigo, but it is also a super dry, almost, I would say, abstract game. I mean, this is pretty much as dry as you can get. Some people will defend that this has theme. I'm sorry, it just doesn't, okay? It doesn't have theme, end of discussion. And it's by Reiner Knizia. Reiner Knizia is another designer who I'm sure is a great guy, but his designs just don't usually sing well with me. I think I can only think of two games, including this one, that I kind of like. The rest of them, uh, I just, I want theme in my games, and all Reiner Knizia and Steffenfeld do is just do super dry, super mechanical games. And I'm just not the biggest fan, it's just, you know, a personal thing. This one, however, is in my collection, and it will stay there for a long time, because I enjoy it that much. Despite the fact it's super dry, it's, like, super dry to the point of being abstract, it's not the shortest game in the world, it has no thematic connection whatsoever and you could get hosed by a little bit of luck at times but it's also mean and nasty when it needs to be and that is Tigris and Euphrates. It is super dry, you just basically have a map where you put tiles on of different colours and when these tiles collide or when leader tokens are placed in cities that oppose other tokens then you have wars and revolts and the game board changes radically every time a war or a revolt breaks out. It's highly strategic but it's one of those games where you think ooh I could now use this opportunity to really cause some chaos over there and get some points. And that's one of the things I like about this as well, this mechanic of you score 
you, you know, you have to get points in several different categories, but your winning score is the lowest of those categories. I think that's a really cool way of doing a scoring system in a game, and it's why Samurai is also a game I enjoy by Rainer Knitzer because it uses that similar scoring system. It's just such a clever way to do things, and I do respect him for that. But Tigris and Euphrates is reasonably high up in my top 100, and it's a game that I really should just loathe. I really shouldn't go for this. And to be honest, the only reason it's not at my number one is because my number one, I think, made my top 20 games of all time, nearly made my top 10. The fact that I enjoy my number one so much is why it beats out this one. But it's got to be one of my biggest exceptions to the rule. A Reiner Knizia game that is super dry, super Euro-y, and can be super mean. I really shouldn't like it, but I do. Tigris and Euphrates, number two. And finally, my number one. Jolly Roger games are not a company that I know a lot about and certainly haven't released anything that I would go mad for. And this one is a political-themed game. I really, really am not a fan of politics. Every time my friends talk about politics, I just zone out. It's one of the most boring topics I can talk about. And a game about politics is not one that's going to reel me in without being decent on the mechanical front. And this one's also historical political. I don't tend to go for the historical games much either, so already the theme should completely chase me away. It's also not, well, it's not actually dry, it's actually very thematic, but again, it main thing is with this one is that it's not the short game. It can go quite long. It can be quite mean. You know, you could get hosed out quite easily. And the main thing is, it's just that it's a historical, political themed game. It is one of the themes that I really am not a fan of and I shouldn't like it. But the level to which I adore Founding Fathers puts this as my number one exception to the rule. It is more thematic than it appears. You know, it really is actually quite thematic. You're basically um, in the era of the, you know, the Constitution being formed, and you have your cards in your hand that have multi-use. Okay, when I found out about that, multi-use cards are something I like. You either play the card to vote for the Constitution right, that's been, you know, the article, or you play it to debate on this separate, like, effectively just a track where you can get tokens that improve your scoring at the end, or you can play it for a special ability that's printed on the card. The artwork is okay, it's mostly just still photographs, and you get a lot of flavour text of history, which is more interesting than I gave it original credit for, but again, history and politics, these are two subjects I really are not a fan of. But this made, I think, my number 13 in my top 100. This game is so much fun. I really love it. Yes, okay, it's quite Euro-y, but I love the fact that these cards have got the multiple use and I love the back and forth that takes place with the whole voting process. You just get into it, you role play it to your heart's content, you can ham it up to your heart's content, but this whole thing of I'm voting yes and then suddenly the vote goes between yes and no, yes and no, depending what objective the players have. You know, some people want to let certain articles pass, some to fail. The events on these cards will change up, you know, change the round dramatically. It can take a little while with too many players, but, you know, if you keep it to three or four max, it's generally pretty good and not too chaotic. But it's just the fact that this has a theme I should run away from in seconds 
yet made nearly my top 10 of all time. That is a huge achievement for a game with a historical, political theme. The likes of Twilight Struggle will not see my top 100 for as long as I do a top 100. So for this one to get to nearly my top 10 is just amazing. Founding Fathers, if you get a chance to play it, in fact, I'm going to bring it to Aircom. Yeah, I'm going to bring it to Aircon. I've decided this will be one game that is in my bag. I'm talking, I will release this before Aircon so you can hear about it now. And I will bring Founding Fathers with me. I'll be more than happy to teach it. Hey, I might even, you know, I've got some board game geek time. Sorry, board game geek time. I've got some geekerson time on their table as part of a contest thing. Maybe I'll put Founding Fathers in that two hour slot because it could be done in two hours. I'm kind of thinking of doing Viticulture then. We'll see. But I'm going to bring the game anyway. I'll bring Founding Fathers with me and hopefully I can show you it there. So without rambling on too much, my number one exception to the rule, Founding Fathers. My throat is super dry, I really need a drink, and you know what, I fancy heading off and playing a bit of Mansions and Madness, because I've been talking about lots of exceptions to the rule, well, now I want to go play a game which is blatantly not an exception to the rule, so I want to play something that I just know I would love, and funny enough I do. Mansions of Madden's 2nd edition is a great game, and I do suggest that if you have any inkling towards the Arkham Horror franchise and co-ops, you should definitely try it. This is how apps should be run. Anyway, enough about that. I'm going to sign off and sort out editing this podcast, so you'll get it this week before I go to Aircon, but I hope to see you guys there. I look forward to meeting some of you in person. I hope that, you know, I can shake hands and chat and hopefully play games with you. That's the idea of going to these conventions, and I cannot wait to get dry... Well, actually, I can't wait to start the convention. I'm not looking forward to a five-hour drive up the... uh you know, the A3 and the M1 and all that from Portsmouth to Harrogate. That's gonna, that's gonna hurt. It hurt last time and it's gonna hurt again, but needs must. You know, flying was just too expensive, so when all else fails, you gotta drive. Hopefully all the podcasts from various contributors on the Dice Tower and the Dice Tower itself and people I listen to in the UK will keep me occupied for those five hours. So I'm gonna sign off now. Take care. Enjoy what you're doing this week. Hope I'll see you at Aircon. And remember, it's only a game. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about The Broken Meeple, there are various sources for you to choose from. You can check out the written review blog at brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can find me on Facebook at The Broken Meeple. You can find me also on Twitter at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, Hampshire, you can come to one of our board gaming clubs. Search for Portsmouth on board on meetup.com or Facebook and check out our pages. Also, check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple and pledge anything you can to help me get back into video and improve this experience for you. Thanks for listening, take care, enjoy playing games, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like the 20 Minutes of Filler podcast or the Broken Meeple. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.